today on Doomed. It's a Vox Adpocalypse, everyone. A Vox Adpocalypse. Get into your bunkers. Be safe. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, don't worry, folks. This Vox Adpocalypse will be completely broken down and explained to you. And there will be no need to go into your bunkers or anything like that. It's a YouTube thing. Uh, something we've discussed a lot on this show. You've probably seen this hashtag going around for the past 24 hours. We're going to break it down for you because joining me on this episode of Dooms with Matt Binder is independent, raw-footaged video journalist with news to share, Ford Fisher. Ford, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a very long day of trying to sort of get the word out from uh, kind of every kind of outlet. I've done some podcast stuff. I've done, uh, I talked to ABC. Uh, I spoke to Forbes. Their story hasn't come out yet. Uh, but, uh, and Washington Examiner did a big piece about it. So it's been a lot of different type of media that's gotten into it. But I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into the beef of it here. Oh, perfect. And we will get into the beef of it. And just you know, those some of those outlets that have reached out to you and you've you've spoken to it's just this thing has really blown up in the past twenty four hours. So before we go any further and get into you know I guess your involvement, uh, you know get into that meat that you just mentioned. Let's I guess break it down for the people who have no clue. Uh, you know the words "vox apocalypse" put together uh, means as much to them as. Uh, a, a Dr. Seuss nursery rhyme or some shit like that, basically. <laughs> what is the Vox Adpocalypse? Yeah, so basically there was a sort of dispute over the last week between uh, two relatively prominent YouTubers, uh, one at a relatively left-wing uh, kind of news uh, outlet, or he kind of does opinion news or analytic news with an agenda, um, for Vox, um, and his name is Carlos Maza, and then there is Steven Crowder, who people would know as the voice of the brain on Arthur, but more recently, they would know him as uh, kind of a conservative commentator. He doesn't purport to be a journalist, uh, and he's not, uh, but a conservative sort of uh, commentator slash comedian, um, and one of the more popular alongside kind of like Ben Shapiro types, one of the more popular conservative uh, uh, YouTubers on the platform. And uh, basically, Carlos had uh, of late been doing some reporting on what he calls uh, the hack gap. And this is a concept that um, he, where basically he alleges that uh, there is supposed to be this kind of center uh, journalist perspective. And that the left and the right, the Democrats, the Republicans, are supposed to sort of equally be trying to feed them information. And that uh, the objective journalist is the one who is able to sift through the BS of both sides and so on and so forth, which is a relative, which is a relatively well understood analysis. What he claims, his, his argument that many people disagree with is that, and in good faith disagree with, um, and he can in good faith agree with, is that Fox News plays a unique role as something kind of in the middle of uh, between the Republican Party and the media. And he refers to this as the hack gap, and he claims that there is no such equivalent to for the left. Uh, this is a claim that I, I think people can very honestly be critical of, and I think that indeed it is the exact job of people who analyze and critique 
to uh, look at ideas and counter them and such. Uh, Steven Crowder is not exactly a um, eloquent uh, critiquer of uh, philosophical and political uh, issues. He is certainly somebody who uses a lot of uh, uh, profanity, I guess you could say. And um, Carlos uh, basically was on the receiving end of a lot of kind of mocking um, and what he sees as bullying about his uh, heritage and sexual orientation on the part of Steven Crowder. And he was pushing YouTube to uh, basically remove him. He was saying a prominent YouTuber is bullying me. And so YouTube should uh, enforce its community standards against him was the talking point that Carlos would tend to use. Now, YouTube claimed that, Car that um, Crowder had not in any individual video actually violated the terms of service. They say, well, epithets based on... Um, you know, certain characteristics are not necessarily bullying in and of themselves, if they're not provoking violence, if they're not inciting hate, that there are certain uh, uh, ways that YouTube considers there to be discretion. But YouTube seemingly in response to this, but to be honest, I think it probably would have happened eventually anyhow, and I think they might have just rushed the rollout because of this controversy. Uh, YouTube basically broadened uh, its community standards as far as what it considers to be bad. And in so doing, it said, uh, as opposed to yesterday, as of today, uh, Crowder no longer fits uh, the definition of what we consider eligible for monetization. And in so doing, though, they uh, sort of reported to the media and then followed through that they were going to remove and demonetize uh, many other accounts that they felt no longer fit into uh, what they consider to be acceptable content. So at the moment that that purge happened, which was right after noon yesterday, I received three emails within six minutes of each other. Two of the emails, all from YouTube, two of the emails uh, detailed, or not detailed, but just, just told me that uh, two specific videos of mine they considered to be uh, unacceptable on their platform, and they deleted them. So let's, and I can, let's, yeah, sure. let's definitely, let's back up, because there's a lot there. Yes. Um, <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, I think you know, and you know, my audience certainly knows, and if you're just tuning in to the show for the first time, I'm going to let you know right now that I am, uh, you know, I am a leftist commentator. I tackle things from the left. And sure. um, sort of let's, let's take things point by point because I think what YouTube did to you flat out was wrong. And basically, like you said, just to, you know, back up and, and repeat, YouTube basically – demonetized your channel for what were the two videos that got deleted yeah so the two videos were the first one was that i was at apac which is the american israel political action conference uh the physical conference not just the committee or whatever and uh there was a pro-palestine protest and there was a pro-israel protest and so the two uh you know are countering each other and a holocaust denier showed up a guy shows up and starts saying uh denying the holocaust and the other two sides, both the pro-Israel and the pro-Palestine people are like, whoa, that's not good. <laughs> and they both started arguing with him. They actually, these two sides that were kind of at each other's throats actually came together to argue with this dude. And so I had like a 12 minute video that was basically both of the sides coming together and, and, and questioning this dude and shutting him down. And so one of the new standards that YouTube has that apparently wasn't there before is that they now consider Holocaust denial to be a subject that's inappropriate on YouTube. 
And and while I'm not somebody who's advocating censorship of anything in particular, I think that the important distinction to make, obviously, is that content that that demonstrates for news purposes, for the purpose of analysis, let's watch how these people debated with this guy, is different from content that in and of itself denies the Holocaust. If, if somebody writes, uh, if somebody makes a YouTube video where they are talking into the camera and, and themselves saying the hateful content or the history denying content or whatever, that is an entirely different thing than me coming across people confronting an activist over those subjects. Um, right. The other uh, situation, the other video, was that there was a situation a couple months before Charlottesville happened, okay? So Charlottesville was August 2017, and in June 2017, there was a rally in front of the Lincoln Memorial that mostly has been forgotten by history. But when I talk to documentarians about it, I bring it up very often because I believe that it's it was essentially the informal prequel to Charlottesville. I think Charlottesville happened more or less because of this rally, or it was the natural consequence of this rally. There was a rally held in Washington, D.C., and almost no violence, or basically no violence occurred because of uh, the police being basically competent and separating the two sides, but the right wing gave their speeches. And I filmed those speeches knowing, you know, history is going to need to understand how this uh, insanity <laughs> Of, of violence, right? That would, you know, it, it happened two months later, but it's happened since then. How did we get into this political moment? And so I recorded all of those speeches and of the more popular uh, people, the people who I think are more well-known and worth um, kind of tracking and and hearing their, their words for investigative purposes, for analytic purposes, uh, I posted those speeches. One of them was by a guy named Mike Enoch, and that was the particular one that was taken down. But the thing that I want to point out about all of that day, all of that situation, the that particular footage of Mike Enoch was used in a documentary on PBS that I associate produced about Charlottesville. And the premiere of that uh, was actually presented by Martin Luther King III, um, right at our premiere. Right. Um, so the, clearly, obviously, nobody would dispute that this documentary had news value and that the way that I am able to get footage into these documentaries is is basically via this this YouTube, right? I show people this is the stuff that I have available, and that's how I'm able to uh, sort of sell them the rights to master files and and work with them via this YouTube. Um, and many other speeches from that day have been used in uh, many other uh, important films. For example, uh, Mike Enoch actually presented Richard Spencer. Uh, so so the the speaker who came directly after him at the end, he goes, and here's Richard. Right. And then Richard Spencer started speaking. And that Richard Spencer speech, uh, part of that footage was used in a film called White Right Meeting the Enemy, which actually won an Emmy Award. Um, so yeah. when YouTube is taking this stuff down, they need to realize that this is for the purpose of critical analysis. And it is obviously for the purpose of, of meaningful documentary, as demonstrated by the fact that the stuff that has come straight out of that YouTube channel has literally won uh, or been part of projects that have won Academy Awards, uh, Emmys and uh, a Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Broadcast Journalism. That's a mouthful. No, but it's it's well-deserved from your work. And, you know, I, I want to go back, like I said before, I want to go back and sort of unpack it all because I actually think that uh, the whole idea, it's called it's being called the Vox Adpocalypse, but I actually think that that name is completely wrong. Um, and, you know, we're, we're here to talk about the whole situation and the Crowder... Uh, Carlos, uh, you know, issue at hand certainly 
is is really uh, the you know uh, the 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 crux of it here in terms of the whole thing. But what happened to you, truly, in my opinion, from everything I've seen, everything I've read, everything I've dug into, the accounts that were removed or demonetized, including yours, have nothing to do really with Vox Media or that feud. I think mm-hmm. the whole idea. Absolutely. Is, I think the whole idea that this was called, and I saw you retweet th- things where you know you said, or I'm sorry, I saw you tweet things where you don't think Carlos uh, is responsible at all for any of this, and obviously so. Um, but you know, the Vox Adpocalypse, Adpocalypse name, the hashtag. I, I don't see the connection because what happened was it just so happened that on that day, where Vi- uh, where YouTube announced those policy changes where they, they posted uh, early that day on the YouTube blog, our ongoing work to tackle hate was the name of the title of this blog post, announcing this update where they were going to be broadening basically what constitutes white supremacy uh, content, hateful content, things that were previously on the borderline according to YouTube. And they're saying now that certain things that fall into those categories that were on the borderline are no longer on the borderline. They are now not appropriate for the YouTube platform. And just so happened that same day, they also came out and announced to uh, Carlos of Vox, gay wonk on Twitter, that, listen, we looked at Steven Crowder's uh, YouTube channel and we decided that what's going on there isn't breaking with the policies. Now, the idea that those two... (laughs) those two things would any way, shape, or form be the same. just doesn't seem right to me. And I personally think it was framed that way by conservatives to try to connect the dots where there weren't any. Because what happened, like, for example, Carlos's one problem here was that Steven Crowder has been harassing him for being a gay man, for being a Latino man, nonstop, in addition to criticizing his videos, which is fine. The criticizing of the videos, uh, his Vox videos is fine. But his problem was the harassment that came from these, these names, the, these, these words being used, that basically also gave a sort of a, a, uh, a sort of, I don't know, a, I don't know how to put this, sort of allowed his, Steven Crowder's audience, the ability to go ahead and say, hey, this is cool to do. Let me go and do this stuff to, to, to Carlos as well. I don't see the connection. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I first of all, I think that generally speaking, this has been the direction that YouTube has been going overall. I think that what Vox probably caused, I, I might say, and, and I don't even like saying that Vox caused it. YouTube did it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you like, YouTube did the stuff, right? Um, but what Vox might have caused is that this was a catalyst uh, to to push a fast rollout. Uh, YouTube claims that it carefully looked through my content. It used the word carefully in the email. That's that's just obviously not true. Their, their new policy that they posted the blog thing about does specifically say that they understand that content meant for analysis and criticism is, is supposed to stay there. And if they had done any even the most rudimentary level of research about who I am, they would see an IMDB that shows that my footage from the from that very YouTube channel has been used in dozens of documentary films and is used on the mainstream media all the time. Um, and indeed, by the way, I like to point out the irony of the fact 
that Vox itself has cited my work. Right. Right. Uh, so I would not consider myself to be an enemy of Vox in general, nor would I consider myself to be in the same uh, ring as uh, someone like Crowder. Now, what's one thing that's interesting is that the right wing likes to talk about anti-censorship a lot. And I think it's nice to see them come around to that point of view, given that just historically that hasn't been the case. Right. Um, the left may have, in some, in some cases, uh, advocates for censorship, and there's sort of a new, um, you know, wave of the way that it goes. But historically speaking, the the left wing generally has been against the big corporations and in favor of free speech. When you think of like my my sort of free speech hero is Mario Savio, who right. was an activist uh, from Berkeley. Right. And so he and he was followed around by the FBI until the day he died because they suspected him of being a communist. Right. Because he did free speech demonstrations and spoke out against uh, the war machine, really. And so I guess the thing that I tr want to emphasize is that the right wing shouldn't own the issue of anti-censorship. And it's a problem that I see right now. I will talk to basically anybody who wants to ask me about these subjects. I am not secretive about the fact that, for example, Breitbart wanted to hear what I thought of all of this. And I, and I replied to them, right? I, I gave them answers. But I would just as happily come onto this program because I, I really don't think that fighting censorship of media should be a issue that is held by either side. And uh, people should, in fact, be happy when someone on the other side come, comes to theirs. One thing I point out to the right wing a lot, uh, and I don't know whether your viewers or you would, would consider yourselves pro-gun, um, but as just as an example, one thing that I point out to the right wing a lot is uh, if you actually want to win on the gun issue, ally with the leftists who agree with you. There's a there's a large pro-gun left in this country, and there's a quiet pro-gun center left in this country. <laughs> and uh, the reason that they that the right hasn't made much progress on that issue is because nobody thinks that the NRA is an appropriate place for <laughs> for progressives. Um, right. And so they've they've turned it into a right wing issue. Um, I think fighting censorship really is a democratic issue, not a democratic party issue, a, a democratic issue in the kind of society that America is supposed to be about. But particularly as it relates to to journalism and critical analysis, uh, I I think it's sort of especially uh, important. Right. I actually I, I have to I have to disagree with you there about the uh, a lot of points I agree with you, but I have to disagree with you about the whole idea that okay. the right the right is coming around to this idea of anti censorship or or being free speech. Mm -hmm. Because what I see actually is they use it. I mean, here we, this this example we're talking about this and. I framed it as we're talking about the Vox Adpocalypse because that's how it's become known. But sure. again, this is them weaponizing something in their favor, whereas, you know, if this was something else happening to another group, they really wouldn't care. And I think no examples greater than Ted Cruz out there tweeting, this is nuts. YouTube needs to explain why Steven Crowder is banned, which A, is completely wrong. He is not banned from YouTube. Uh, he's been demonetized. Uh, sure. And he continues, uh, but uh, Samantha B can call Ivanka a feckless c-word. Jim Carrey can say, "Look at my pretty picture of a the go a governor, uh, a Republican governor being murdered in the womb." I'm assuming uh, Jim Carrey uh, uh, painted a picture uh, against the you know these anti-abortion crusaders. Uh, mm -hmm. No coherent standard explains it, says Ted Cruz. 
And, and you know, to me, there's so much there to actually talk about. The idea that he thinks that uh, Carlos from Vox uh, saying, I don't like these homophobic words being used against me all the time, which then riles up Steven Crowder's fan base to dox me and harass me. Uh, I don't think that's the same as Samantha B uh, using the C word to describe the most powerful man in the world's daughter, who is also part of the administration and is also a very powerful figure. Uh, I don't think it's the same as Jim Carrey doing a, <coughs> excuse me, a comedic portrait or painting of a very powerful Republican governor who is signing laws to marginalize women's rights and take away their right to control their own bodies. I don't think it's at all the equivalent, yet here's mm-hmm. just another example of them using this idea that they care about free speech to really just push their own agenda. I, I really, truly think that whenever you see them stand up for free speech, what they are standing up for <coughs> is, hey, we want to be able to harass and uh, demonize these uh, minority groups that we attack via the internet or worse, via law. And we want to be able to do that stuff without any sort of ramifications, uh, even if it's, for example, against a very specific policy proposal, uh, excuse me, policy that uh, these platforms lay out. <coughs> mm-hmm. I, um, so there, there's a lot there. I would first start by, there, there's actually, there's one example that I use a lot, which is that um, Matthew Heimbach, are you, do, are you familiar with that name? Yes. Uh, to, to people who don't know, Matthew Heimbach is probably considered one of the more prominent neo-Nazis, or maybe he was until a little while ago, but one of the more prominent neo-Nazis He's the guy, sort of like of our generation. Right. And for people who listen to the show, they know him as... I think if I'm getting this right, there's a lot of family tree stuff going on. Oh, yes, it's a very complicated web. Yes. (laughs) He's the guy who screwed his cousin's wife or something like that? No, 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 no. Even worse, right? I've I've got this. Okay. Matt Heimbach, his uh, father in – his stepfather, okay, his stepfather married a new woman and – him and the stepfather co-founded the Traditionalist Workers' Party, which is a neo-Nazi group, together. And Matthew uh, had relations with his stepfather's wife. And that was the day that uh, people called the Night of Wrong Wives. Uh, (laughs) It's it's a tangled web they weave there, you know? So... In any event, uh, that actually wasn't what I was going to bring up, though. There was a moment, but but I'm glad that we just sort of went through that just to, like, set the scene. Uh, but long before that happened, uh, there was a situation um, – it wasn't too long after Charlottesville. I think it was October, so, like, two months later. Uh, there was this protest in front of the White House uh, that Matthew Heimbach and Richard Spencer and many of the other kind of cast of characters from Charlottesville participated in, and the police – protected them from Antifa very competently. It would have absolutely been a bloodbath if these two groups could have gone at each other. And there was essentially no violence because of the uh, police. And so sort of yelling through a police line, I asked Matthew, uh, what do you think of the police and how they and, and how they've acted here, right? Because he had claimed that Charlottesville only became violent because of the police a couple months earlier. Okay, now the police are like super heavy handedly protecting you. What do you think of that? And he said, you know, something to the effect of 
uh, we're glad to see that the police are standing up for our constitutional right and da 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 da, kind of what you'd expect. And, but he's a Nazi. Right? Right. I mean, like, and I'm not saying that pejoratively. I know people like to say to me, like, oh, you're calling everyone a Nazi. No, Matthew Heimbach is literally a national socialist. This isn't a pejorative. That's what he is. Right. Um, he said uh, in response, um, he said in response, that stuff. And I and what I asked was, do you support that constitution? And he said, the American constitution. And I said, yeah. And he's and the exact words that came out of his mouth were we use it when it's convenient. And so I don't think that that's representative of everybody who you could broadly consider the right. There is a world of difference between conservatives and national socialists. Those are completely different ideologies entirely. So I, I realize that when we talk about a Ted Cruz, there's almost no comparison to someone like on the alt-right. Um, with that being said, it is- no, the, li the lines are blurring a little bit nowadays, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> so, um, so, so some people on the right are free speech absolutists and some people on the right uh, think of it generally speaking as an expendable tool. And I would say that that's probably also true in, to some extent on from people on the left. I have a uh, friend, and I actually, I will call him a friend, but I have a friend who uh, very frequently trolls my stuff, who is what is often referred to as a tanky. He is an authoritarian communist. He's a, he's a leftist who believes in a communist state, not Antifa, not an anarchist communist. This is someone who is fond of uh, the DPRK and Stalin, etc. And this individual... <laughs> Uh, has joked about how he would kill liberals, right, in his in his sort of fantasy communism world, and so I'm using him as a as an intentionally extreme but accurate. Uh, this is a real person uh, example to point out that it is to some extent free speech is not something that is owned by the left or right because the authoritarian side of either of those ideologies is perfectly capable of saying we don't support free speech when it's this or that. Um, I think tech is a very unique and different. Uh, situation, because sort of for a, in a weird twist of ideology, it is kind of conservatives who have been saying we want to regulate, we want to use government regulation to go after a corporation for doing what we see as social harm, which is usually the position of Democrats, who in this case tend to actually be pronouncing themselves in favor of the uh, kind of laissez-faire capitalist approach. Uh, to big tech censorship, which is let the corporations deal with it. Well, I got, I got to push back a little bit there too. I, I sure. you know, I, there, there's definitely the corporate wing of the Democrats who, you know, just look at where so many of uh, Obama's 2008 campaign staff ended up. Uh, but you know, the, the reason that one of the, the one of the main people who who brought the issue to the forefront, who has an actual policy proposal, uh, which no conservative, in my opinion, from what I've seen, uh, has. You know, the reason we're talking about breaking up all the big tech companies nowadays is because Elizabeth Warren put out a very detailed proposal. And I believe every single, uh, I think maybe Cory Booker might be the only major uh, candidate who came out against it. But every other major 2020 Democratic primary candidate has backed the idea of breaking up the major uh, tech companies, and I haven't seen that from any conservatives. I, I haven't. Uh, let, so, I to be honest, I haven't been super well studied on this, but my understanding of her reasoning is mostly economic. Um, my understanding is that mostly it deals with the fact that, for example, Amazon has a near monopoly on the shipment of electronics, but they're also establishing, for example, 
the uh, streaming websites as well as the um, like the production of, of of like cords and stuff, right? Like I'm using an Apple right. headphone, but it might be actually an Amazon Apple headphone, right? And so Amazon's kind of production of those things and that I believe that what she has talked about about breaking up uh, like big tech is mostly in reference to uh, trying to force competition um, in order to what she sees as raise wages and and remove monopoly power and so on uh, from those corporations. I, I, I could be wrong, and, and please tell me if you've actually seen something to the contrary, but I, I don't think I've seen her talk about that in reference to we're doing that to protect free speech online. Right, but I don't even think she has to say that or any Democrat has to say that. The, the, that. That is the issue, isn't it? The fact that Facebook is a monopoly, YouTube is a monopoly. There are no, you know, there was a time where there were social networks and competing uh, live streaming services and, you know, there was Ustream, Justin TV, YouTube, uh, probably a dozen other smaller ones I can't even think of. There was a time where there was a Friendster, a MySpace, a Facebook, uh, and all these things, all, all these different sites were, and there, there were niche websites, niche social networks for specific types of hobbies or, 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 or things people were into. And pretty much that's all gone now because Facebook, uh, YouTube, Amazon, Google, I should say, and instead of YouTube, own so much of everything that there's no space for anyone to come up. And that way, you know, when... When someone gets banned from Facebook, when someone gets banned from YouTube, that's why it's such a big issue because there's nowhere else for them to go. Like To me, that's the conversation that these free speech rights people, if they actually cared about free speech, should be talking about because that's, that's the reason why we're in this. If you ask me, that's why this is such a big mm-hmm. issue. Facebook, as a private company, has every right to say we don't want these, this sort of content on our site. Do I agree with it? No, it sucks, but that's in their right. There's nothing right. that can force them to do that. If they weren't so powerful, if they weren't such a monopoly, if you if it wasn't you're not on Facebook, you don't exist. You weren't you're not on YouTube, you don't exist. Uh then that wouldn't be you know, when Facebook bans you, you go, oh, no big deal. I got my audience on uh, this other social network. YouTube bans you. I got another audience on this uh, live streaming or video platform. That just isn't the case. Mm-hmm. I, I did. Uh, I found this. So generally speaking, her breaking up uh, the thing is is based on what I sort of described. But I did find an interaction. The one interaction that goes to this, uh, there was a situation where, uh, and I'm reading this off of, on like the internet. I didn't right. know this until like a minute ago, or I might have seen it, but for whatever. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wrote about the fact that she actually had some posts that were taken down on Facebook, which right. again highlights for me the fact that this is not a left right issue, right? Elizabeth Warren is not precisely uh, far right. Um, but so she had some posts that were taken down. I think that they were advert, they were ad posts. And, uh, I think what was in question was whether they were valid political, uh, you know, genuine political postings as opposed to, you know, Russian propaganda kind of stuff. But, but Facebook realized that, that they were fine and restored Elizabeth Warren stuff. And she posted about it and did use the hashtag, uh, break up big tech. Ted Cruz did retweet it. He writes, first time I've ever retweeted Elizabeth Warren, but she's right. Big tech has way too much power to silence free speech. They shouldn't be censoring Warren or anybody else. A serious threat to our democracy. Um, I I haven't really seen much else come out of that. And to be honest, when I've seen politicians, I'm going to close those tabs. I don't even really care (laughs) uh, what Elizabeth Warren and uh, Ted Cruz have to say so much. But when I've seen most politicians talk about this subject, I really find it to be kind of paying 
lip service uh, to energize certain faces that are interested in hearing about it without a whole lot of tangible outcome. So like, for example, like Trump has kind of talked about this, um, but then he has this like page that you can report tech censorship to the White House. And my understanding is that like, or my impression, I guess, based on other people's analysis is that it's really not going anywhere. It's just turning you into an email list uh, person. Right. We right. actually, the last episode, the previous episode of this show, for anyone who's not, and hasn't tuning in for the first time today, the last episode of this show uh, had a guest on who hosts a, interestingly enough, a podcast about censorship. And we went through that White House uh, social media reporting tool. Right. And it is literally just a tool for them to build their email list. There's nothing yes, right. else behind it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, you know, but for me, this is how I look at it. And this mm -hmm. is just from what I see, there's no really denying the fact that, you know, here's an example. And I don't expect you to know this because it's so random. And I know not everybody saw this. It was a very specific thing. Uh, the House, uh, a, a, a committee in the House uh, two weeks ago had a hearing on facial recognition technology. And Democrats and Republicans uh, on this House committee were in agreement that this was a real problem. And it was good to see. However, when this became an issue to talk about, uh, the Democrats on the committee would speak about how, you know, this is, it's, this is bad because I'm looking at the science. And what we're seeing here is this facial recognition technology is wrongly identifying uh, something like a, a much larger percentage of people of color than anyone else. So this is a clear problem because this is what the science says. And then I very particularly remember Jim Jordan, a Republican in the House. He constantly would bring up how this facial recognition technology is a problem in government hands because we see that the IRS, if you remember when this was an issue, has gone after right-wing uh, right-wing organizations, which was a controversial issue that turned out not to be 100% accurate, in, to say the least, uh, that was sort of used as a conservative rallying call to sort of rally up their base and make it seem like the Obama administration was doing something nefarious specifically to conservative groups. And, you know, to me, that just speaks so much to, and I, I know we're going a little bit off here, but I do think this is a part of it because I don't want people to get confused because... Even as I saw you talk about it online, no matter how much you yourself, because you're aware of it, I know you are, we're talking mm -hmm. right now about it. For sure. <laughs> as much as you kept saying to people, no, Carlos Avax, uh, gay wonk on Twitter, is not responsible for this. He was right. bringing up legitimate points, and in fact, he's defended me. Uh, it seems to just be going in one ear and out the other, and I think for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. uh, who care about this issue, because... I think if you care about this issue as posed as Vox ad apocalypse, uh, I, I think you already are misunderstanding it. Uh, truthfully, I, I think that's what it comes mm -hmm. down to. And, and I titled this episode very specifically to reach those type of people, hopefully, because otherwise, if I didn't put Vox ad apocalypse in the title, uh, it yep. would not have gotten the, uh, the SEO or any other random necessary tech stuff to get this in front of those people. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I that I pointed out um, about Carlos and, and kind of everybody else is that in, in my view, at the end of the day, YouTube will always be responding to hundreds of people saying, take down this or that. When, when I post a video, 
that that shows uh, a right winger committing an act of violence, that right winger may well want it taken down. The same is true of the left wing. The the same is true of when I platform the left, the right might not be happy, right? In their view, if it's platforming, if I if I film the right, the left might not be happy because they view it as platforming, whatever. People will always report content uh, based on what they don't like. In Carlos's case, I don't think it was so much political as you as you pointed out, and as I think we all kind of know, what he was more upset about was the way he was being talked about as a person, not so much uh, the fact that he was being called out on, um, you know, the content of the of the of the videos he was making. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, whether he calls for this or you know whatever, whatever YouTube does is YouTube's decision. And so people can do public advocacy. Like frankly, I'm here largely because I'm trying to build awareness for the fact that that <laughs> that what was done to me is wrong, right? People can build public awareness. And at the end of the day, whether uh, YouTube uh, fixes it for me or not is a function of them, not me. And in the same right. way, them screwing this up is a function of them and not Carlos. And to that end, I'd note. Carlos was not happy with the rollout that they had. He said uh, he, that that what happened to me is effing terrible. His his words. So what happened to Fort Fisher is effing terrible. Um, uh, and he said it. You know, it's ridiculous, basically, that YouTube doesn't understand the difference between good faith reporting on white supremacy and white supremacist content itself. Um, so so he is on my side of this, I guess you could say. Uh, and interestingly, so is Stephen Crowder. Even even Crowder has said this is. Uh, ridiculous, and I and I'm not someone who would color myself as uh, politically or stylistically in tune uh, with what Crowder is kind of all about. Right. Listen, uh, if I was if I was in your shoes, I would definitely welcome all the people who are coming out. But again, I, I think that uh, the reason certain people are coming out for you who who are on the right, I think it helps when YouTube, the worst possible, the best, excuse me, the best possible thing that could happen to people like Steven Crowder was for this to happen to you, to be completely honest to, to, to you, because it allows them to paint this as, uh, see, it's not something that I did. It's, you know, I, I got to stand up for this guy because it'll help show people that YouTube is after everyone because of Vox. I honestly, and th th again, this is completely out of your hands. Nothing you could have done about this, mm -hmm. but that's what I think is the reason why these, these, Someone like a Crowder is coming out so strongly for you because I just heard today, and I, I don't have the clip on me, but Joe Rogan, and, and I don't expect you to have seen this, but Joe Rogan... No, I don't watch him a lot. Yeah, but, <laughs> but Joe Rogan yeah. had David Pakman on the show yesterday. And Joe Rogan brings... They, they started talking about the, the Vox Adpocalypse. And Joe Rogan brings up, listen, I don't see a difference, and I'm not sure if you've been familiar with any of the people I'm about to bring up. Uh, or the scenarios I'm about to bring up. But Joe Rogan says, listen, I don't see a difference between Crowder's audience uh, going after Carlos saying debate Steven Crowder and Sam Cedar, the majority Port's audience, tweeting at Dave Rubin, uh, debate Sam Cedar. Uh, and he tried to make this false equivalency as if that was the issue. And, and again, that's what's going on here it, to me, it's as clear as day with the right is they're trying to portray that. Oh, what we did wasn't wrong. But again, if you just I even I guarantee you this would not have happened. And again, I'm not saying to you specifically the, the broader audience. If Carlos just heard just got the texts. Well, the texts are probably a problem because it doxed him. If Carlos just got tweets 
saying debate Steve Crowder over and over again, he would have just brushed it off his shoulder, no big deal. Uh, it's the specific homophobic attacks that warranted, that, that, that grew out of this harassment. And it's just something that I think they're using to sort of deflect from the real issue. And that's, 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 my, that's my analysis of this all. And before we go any more into that, I think we've got covered that thing. But let's talk about your, your demonetization, because I think that's something we should definitely touch upon a bit more, being that you're, you're here. Um, the problem there, in my opinion, is that YouTube rolls out these, these, these rules and A, there's automated systems who can't tell the difference between, uh, you know, someone saying something uh, really that's harassment or someone saying something that's tongue-in-cheek. We don't have the AI technology. It's not there yet for them to be able to tell something like that. So in many ways, you know, it's also what's happened to your videos. You're legitimately covering something. Uh, a Holocaust denier walks by and starts spewing his hatred. And you're covering that because it's part of the event. And the automated systems do not have the ability to say, hey, this is not uh, someone vlogging in their bedroom advocating for the fact that the Holocaust didn't happen. Uh, it's a guy who's covering an event and is covering this because it's newsworthy that this guy was at this event spewing this bullshit. And I think that's something that never really comes up. They automatically think that YouTube is... Uh, like nefariously running around going like, ah, I'm going to listen to NBC and go after uh, everyone who is right wing. I Listen, that's just not what's happening. Yeah, so uh, there was a whole lot to unpack. There was a lot of different stuff. Um, I think the, the main point you were you were trying to get at was uh, sort of false equivalencies. I, I think that, that that's a that's just a theme that I would point out, um, which is that, yeah, the uh, when they do all of this in one big foul swoop and they do the exact same action to Steven Crowder's channel and to my channel and then news outlets write about those two things in the same story. Uh, yes, people like paint me and him as some kind of allies. And in fact, I answered questions to an outlet called the Libertarian Republic that asked me about the censorship issue. And I would say they're basically supportive of don't censor. And that's nice. But uh, like they posted their um, story and like the featured image. Apparently, they reached out to, for, to Crowder also. And like their headline said something like Stephen Crowder and, or Crowder and Fisher speak out about YouTube right. and it was like this picture of like I've never met Crowder in my life I've never right. talked to him I think my only I apparently he's now been mentioning me like on his broadcasts like because of kind of what you're talking about here but <laughs> uh, I've never met with him in my life but it's this photoshopped picture of us like next to each other uh, and I realized that the picture's not trying to claim as if him and I were physically there next to each other it's it's a very obviously photoshopped image but uh, I think it, it does falsely kind of make this um uh, pretense of the two of them together and if you actually think that the people on the on on that some of these people deserve censorship and some of them don't when you censor them all together you are providing cover to the people who you believe do deserve it right the when 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 crowder is hit and i am hit and literally a history teacher like an actual school teacher who has a youtube channel that he uses to teach about history and it had some Hitler stuff on it because it's literally just raw video of Hitler speeches that he's using to teach 
classes on history, right? When all of those things go down at the same time, Crowder gets to say, I got censored just like the news media and a school teacher. Right, right. right. Um, and so if YouTube really wants to have legitimacy when it does this stuff, it needs to actually uh, be careful because it because YouTube lost a lot of legitimacy by doing this. And and it draws into question, I think, for a lot of people, the actual the the act of censorship overall. It gives cover where we're now a Ted Cruz. I don't think Ted Cruz has said anything about my case specifically, but people who we interact with does. Ben Shapiro mentioned me by name on his show today, right? Uh, when those people start start talking about it, kind of in the same breath, um, uh, it's going to it it will rightly or wrongly get it into people's heads that censorship is is inherently and has to be a slippery slope, right? That's what people say, and YouTube is is proving it true, whether it's true or not. Right. The I mean the pro YouTube is a hundred percent at fault here for just the the all the. They came out with so many different statements, like they were changing with the blow of the wind. It oh, was it, was, a mess. it was ridiculous that a company like YouTube was doing this. It was, and, and let's just get back to what you said about the conflation of you with Steven Crowder. The idea that Steven Crowder is some sort of victim is absurd to me because I am guaranteeing you right now. That the fact that Steven Crowder is one of, if not the most prominent conservative voice on YouTube with his over 3 million subscribers, I will guarantee you that that's the reason why YouTube did not come down hard on him. If the roles were reversed and your channel, News to Share, with how many subscribers do you have on YouTube? A couple uh, tens of thousands? 27 and a half thousand or something like that. If you had done the thing Steve Crowder did to Carlos with the consistently dragging him with homophobic words and harassment, you, yeah, right. would, not, you would not be sitting here saying you were demonetized. Uh, you the would channel be, would be gone. Yeah, yeah, you would be gone. They wouldn't. They, and, I agree. Totally. And, on, and on top of that, not only you'd be sitting here saying, like Crowder is saying, I'm demonetized until I remove a t-shirt. That's what they're giving him. You're demonetized until you remove the link to the t-shirt you have for sale. Not even, we don't want, I mean, they can't really tell him not to sell it, I guess. They could just say, don't put it on our platform. Fine, that's as far as they can go. But the idea that he is somehow in the same boat as you, A, you're being unfairly sweeped up in a broad YouTube rule change that has nothing to do with the Steven Crowder issue to begin with. And then number two, you would be not you would be talking to me about a deleted channel. No doubt in my uh -huh. mind. I, I basically agree. Yeah, I mean I think that YouTube has clearly had a very difficult uh time with this because I don't think that they want to lose people who are watching this content by the hundreds of thousands. They don't want to lose that money. And at the same time, they want to look like they're actually doing something about what somebody has said and gotten a lot of attention for saying is bullying, right? So they are in they are in between a rock and a hard place, I think, because ultimately their bottom line is money. YouTube is not ideologically about the concept of free speech. I don't think they really particularly care about the fact that content off of my YouTube channel has been used in an Emmy and Academy Award winning films. I think they care about dollars. Right. Absolutely. And so Steven Crowder makes them a lot of money and they can't pretend that he doesn't. They also might lose quite a bit of money uh, if in in PR people stop supporting YouTube generally, if people if advertisers pull whatever because of what Vox is saying. So they are trying to 
tread on this line. And clearly they've had great difficulty with it because people have been extraordinarily critical of them today. And so they keep clarifying and re-clarifying. At first they clarified, and I wrote, what the F, YouTube, when they said, ah, oh, yes, well, if Steven removes the offending T-shirt, then he'll be reinstated. Really? All of this over, I, I'm dealing with this because of a T-shirt, right? And right. then people said, well, that's not, like, the problem. The problem is not a T-shirt, uh, with with an epithet on it, right? Yeah, I just got to bring but, up the T-shirt because for people who are listening and they have no idea what we're yeah. talking about, I know that's not. Yeah, you can explain. But it. yeah, so <laughs> so basically, Stephen Crowder, Stephen Crowder sells a Che Guerrero uh, uh, T-shirt that that you know the the cliche shirt that you know became very mainstream. Hipsters wear it in jokes where people say, "Oh, look, it's the hipster shirt." Whatever. So he made that T-shirt with the that with that the the, the Che face on it. And um, it says socialism is for F, and then there's an image of a fig leaf from a fig tree, GS. And basically, it's supposed to say socialism is for the F word used to, you know, the derogatory term for gay people. And, right. and it's ridiculous because yeah. he goes, oh, it just says socialism is for figs. Ha, right, ha, ha, ha. right. And we all know, right. we all know why that, because what does socialism is for figs even mean? It means nothing. And the Che face is next to a limp wrist. And what is that limp wrist? Is that how you pick figs off a fig tree? Like, give me a break. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I actually haven't seen the, the shirt. I've just seen it described like in text. There's a, it's, it's the <laughs> Che okay. face. And then literally a, there's like his arm coming up at, next to him. And it's a limp wrist. I'm like, I'm rolling my eyes like so hard. I, I just like, okay, let me just like point out. And I, I, I'm guessing you and your audience are not going to like this. But let me just say. It's especially stupid, like the words that he's saying, because like Che hated gay people, right? <laughs> like, like historically, the authoritarian left has killed all of the gays that they possibly can. So, so the idea of putting a of equivalent of making an a, an equivalence between Che Guevara and and homosexuality is ridiculous. He literally said, uh, "You can't make a revolution with homosexuals are not capable of making a revolution." Totally terrible, offensive weird thing to say and in the context of american politics doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it makes the t-shirt even more ridiculous where even if you follow the like there's literally no way that you can like analyze this thing to make it be funny or smart someone on twitter just pointed out to me that the shirt actually existed uh before crowder started selling it without the fig leaf logo like the fig leaf in in where the uh you know where the a is supposed to be so I mean, did it have an A? It was. It literally just said those words. It was probably. I guess either it was like that, or I guess you know, like a an asterisk where the A is. I have no idea. See, but, that, it's like Westboro Baptist, like right. church kind of stuff. It's like it's just like so, like that's just sort of like ridiculous. I don't know. I you know it doesn't. I ever. I I don't need. I'm speak. I'm preaching to the choir. Right. But right. No, I I'm. Let's let's actually talk about you know what you're worried about for the future I guess in terms of because uh, I had heard you bring it up in another interview um, that you know some of YouTube's new policies could affect how people cover events in the future and yeah. I think that's true in some cases and I think in other cases I'm not so worried but but l let me hear from you what you're worried about as someone who covers you know events of all sorts I'm I'm going to use a very 
actually, I have two real world examples that are in the next two days. So, so these are not hypotheticals. These are things that will happen tomorrow and the following day. Tomorrow night, I am, so I, I kind of had what was supposed to be two days off. Yes, today and yesterday, I was supposed to be doing nothing. And I ended up uh, with this ridiculous onslaught of, of this issue where I've gotten involved in this crazy, ridiculous thing. But um, tomorrow, I am covering at 5 p.m. an event called the Dyke March. It is a uh, pro-LGBT pride event uh, that takes place annually in a lot of cities, but, but D.C. is a pretty big one. And specifically, it is focusing on pride for lesbian women. Okay, uh, I, lesbian pride definitely not something YouTube would take issue to. Uh, you know, maybe they'd have issue with with nudity, but honestly, as far as me posting it onto YouTube, I, I can I can mostly edit around. I can chop around nudity. I could blur out boobs or whatever. The, That's not really the issue. The funny the, thing about that, just to, again, this is not the main point, yeah. but just interjecting. The funny thing about that is that LGBT creators on YouTube have actually said. Just the content of what they're talking about has got them demonetized before, which is incredible. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. Right. So, so I'm talking not even like nudity or anything like that. Just like, you know, something that if it was a straight male was talking about in the same context about, they would be fine with it and would not get, have gotten them demonetized. But going back to what you said, I just wanted to throw that in there that, again, uh, shockingly, conservatives are not the most marginalized group on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it's kind of been pointed out that, uh, so I studied, I'll, I'll, I'll carry your, uh, you know, side note, uh, a little bit further, which is to say I studied film. I actually didn't study journalism in college. I was a film major. And that one was of the, the same issues... as just want, sorry for interrupting uh, you again, but same as me. <laughs> cool. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I actually, I had a class on censorship, but in, it was kind of in the context of, of both fiction film and news. And, uh, one of the things that we sort of talked about in that is actually MPAA ratings for movies uh, tend to be stricter on sexual content as it pertains uh, to non-straight uh, sex or even sex in positions that are considered outside of uh, the norm. So I, I'll, I'll kind of leave that comment on its own. But I mean, whether it's YouTube or the MPAA, you know, generally speaking, sexuality tends to be kind of marginalized, especially when it's itself a sexual, a gender or sexual minority. So. Uh, with that being said, and, and it again highlights the fact that censorship is, you know, affects kind of all people. Um, a real concern that I have tomorrow, and, and I don't say this uh, facetiously, I don't say this uh, sarcastically or hypothetically, a real concern I have about the very thing I'm covering tomorrow is YouTube with its new kind of broad explanation of what the problem is, and with its clear uh, non-understanding of what news content is, they say that one of the things that they have a problem with is people making uh, derogatory comments towards protected groups, and they have a list of them. It's veteran status, religious status, uh, uh, gender, sexuality, minority, race, kind of all, all the things that you would expect. Uh, so one of them is sexuality, right? And one of their standard, it seems a little bit difficult, but one of their standards is basically the, a claim of superiority or inferiority, right? The A comment of of I believe that this sexuality is better than that sexuality, uh, theoretically could be banned by YouTube. Tomorrow I will cover the Dyke March. It will be about lesbian pride. I'm not worried about that. And I'm not worried about YouTube taking down something over lesbian supremacy or something. But a real concern that I have is if somebody on the street, uh, let's say MAGA guy, MAGA, some MAGA dad tourist, uh, he's wearing a Trump cap and he sees this march, he had no idea it was coming, and he yells at them. 
and make some kind of comment that they are of an abomination before God uh, or that they are inferior before God, right? Uh, or they're inferior because the Bible says so. Any, any kind of comment like that. Does YouTube expect me to not include the fact that that happened because uh, that is literally it is showing con it is showing a guy making a comment of superiority against a protected group. If that guy were to, to scream into his computer uh, saying that stuff, YouTube would ban him. And that's pretty obviously the stated purpose of this stuff. But if I film that guy saying that homophobic slur at those people, is my content liable to be called hate content because I'm covering that guy? Um, this isn't an abstraction. That will probably happen, more or less. And right. the question that I have to deal with, because I always include that stuff, right? Somebody somebody yelled at them, right? I was at an uh, March for Impeachment recent on Saturday, five days ago, and Trump people showed up and yelled at the impeachment people. And I included that in the video. Here's those people debating. Here's how they disrupted. Here's how the other side reacted, whatever. Um, in this case, should I, as a content creator, feel obligated to sanitize the condition of these people? If if I made the decision, as some content creators would, and I don't know uh, if I'm supposed to, I, I sort of refuse to self-censor on principle, but uh, I think there are many content creators in my situation who would say, I'm not going to risk it. And what the result of that is, is if I would normally film the, the dyke march and include the fact that people yelled at them and harassed them, and if I was going to disinclude that, then now to the viewer, they are seeing an incomplete telling of that story where they believe that nobody opposed them. YouTube is literally causing the sanitization of the exact issues that they are doing. It is the denial of the exact kind of oppression that they are that they claim to be fighting against. I, I think it is is admirable and comes from a good place that they, for example, want to say uh, we shouldn't have Holocaust denying content. They are literally saying, though, we don't want you to talk about the people who are currently oppressing people. Uh, similarly, covering an anti-illegal immigration protest on Saturday that Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, is going to be at in front of the White House. Uh, YouTube claims that immigration status, uh, which I, I take to mean being an immigrant or being an illegal versus illegal immigrant, is a protected status. You're not allowed to say uh, derogatory things about immigrants. Um, if I film Stuart Rhodes, who is a prominent and newsworthy person, his militias literally are detaining people at the border, right? This guy, it, this guy is, uh, many people would claim that this guy is a paramilitary, is the leader of a paramilitary group that has a, a uh, strange uh, relationship with the state. And it's, and in my opinion, it's very worth studying. So when that guy has some, I've never met him, I've never filmed him before. When that guy has something to say, I want to document it. How does how does he think of what he is doing? Does he believe that he is a paramilitary group? Does he believe that he's an extension of the state? Does he believe that he's operating with Donald Trump's endorsement? Uh, if I put out something uh, of that and he mentions the illegals, <laughs> right? And I'm using air quotes as I say that. Uh, is YouTube going to take down my content studying that person? Is YouTube going to make it so that uh, researchers who want to write about and do documentaries about and television about and whatever uh, these situations, does YouTube want them not to be able to, to do that? Um, again, not abstractions. These are real examples of things that will happen in the next two days. And, and I don't know if YouTube's new standards will allow them or not. Right. I think those are 
truly things to, to be worried about in terms of the content you're filming and, and what happens to it on YouTube. Um, I, I, I don't know where YouTube's coming from with this. I don't know what they're... To me, the immigration status thing makes sense when, uh, again, I don't agree with anything those guys say, but using your example where you're, 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 you're going to be covering this event, I, to me, that seems like a legitimate thing to have on YouTube for people to, to watch and understand what's going on so they could critique, criticize, talk about it because it's a, an event that's happening. It needs, should be covered. It's newsworthy. To me, uh, you know, the way to, to, to go after that sort of uh, thing on the platform is, and I've seen this happen, and I hope this is what they're talking about because to me this is truly the, the, the stuff that does not belong anywhere, is someone will hear a, a dreamer or something advocate for something online and they'll attack them for being an undocumented immigrant and not just attack them for being an undocumented immigrant, They'll CC ICE, they'll call immigration and, mm -hmm. and tell them everything they know about the person and actually try to, yep. you know, get this person deported or, or ruin their life in some aspect. And to me, that seems like what is the, should be the, the clear interpretation of those rules. That should be mm -hmm. no sort of gray area. If you're doing that to me, I mean, and that's to me what was going on with Carlos, what Steven Crowder was doing. It was going after someone very specific for their for for being part of a certain group, and it's it wasn't just an offhanded comment. It wasn't just something that just happened once. It's it, it's something that's done in a harassing manner, and that I think is the type of stuff they should go after, and not sort of. And I do wonder sometimes whether they even mean to demonetize some of the stuff they do. Be, because, you know, they probably do so much of it with their automated systems. And again, unless you're a Steven Crowder with 3 million plus subscribers, they're not going to jump to assess the situation and help you out like in your case. <laughs> yeah. Um... Sorry, I had, I, I, I had a response and I just like lost it. I completely lost my train of thought as we... No, I, th uh, I think you were gonna. I, I think you. No, that. don't worry about it. I think you were gonna say something when I mentioned like the the, uh, the going after a specific person for their immigration status and trying to get them like deported or something like that. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got it. Um, what I was gonna mention is that yes, you should. It should be obvious that there's an obvious line. There's an obvious. There's a a difference. That's not, it's not a line. There's, there's a football field between <laughs> harassing somebody in the way that you just described and me filming somebody who talks about people with those same sort of themes. Uh, and in the same way, uh, berating a particular YouTube user or a particular private individual over their sexuality, it should be a completely different thing than me filming a uh, pro-LGBT march and seeing homophobes who show up at it and counter protest them or, or heckle them or whatever. Um, YouTube claims not to understand that difference, right? Th this is the critical thing. As obvious as that should be to anybody with a brain, how different those things are, YouTube claims as of yesterday not to understand the difference. They, by taking down my content, they claimed not to understand the difference between filming people confront a Holocaust denier and literal Holocaust denying content. They claim not to know the difference between uh, white nationalist content and me filming a white nationalist for the purpose of critical analysis that was used in a documentary that MLK spoke at the premiere, MLK <laughs> the third, right? <laughs> those, those purposes are 
football fields apart uh, from each other. And YouTube has made a ridiculous conflation and a ridiculous mistake by acting like they are the same thing. And their rules are so overly broad, probably by design to give them discretion, but apparently discretion that they are abusing, to be honest. Those rules are so overly broad as to not make that distinction whatsoever. Ford, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I just want to make sure we got your Twitter name. It's at Ford Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, yep, of news great. to share. Uh, you want to plug your... News the number two share, just so that you know. News right. to share doesn't work. It's news the number two share. Got it. And do you <laughs> want to plug your, your channel or your website? Yeah. So uh, so the website is news2share.com. It's news, the number two, share. Uh, similarly, news2share, all one word on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, I ha- there is at N2S Reports, and there's also at Ford Fisher. And I also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Ford Fisher. And given that I can't make money directly on YouTube, essentially, I'm going to still use YouTube because it's what people see. It gets viewership, and I want people to have access to this, what I, I really think that I've amassed quite a library, a directory that helps people understand the pre and during and will understand the post-Trump era, right? I kind of started doing this like 2014 and I think that I've kind of drawn, I, I covered the Black Lives Matter movements uh, back in the day, um, which still continues to some extent to now, but I think we know kind of 2014 to 2015 as like the beginning, the inception of the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And so I've covered kind of the trends in activism uh, good, bad, and ugly, uh, since then to now and plan to continue to. And I think that my channel is a valuable resource to understand this kind of wide political moment. And, and so I do continue to, uh, plan to continue to use it regardless of whether it becomes, uh, financially fruitless. And for that reason, I'd appreciate people's support on Patreon. All right. Uh, Ford, thanks so much for joining us tonight. It was really, really great. And, uh, I hope they don't demonetize, your channel. I hope they re-monetize your channel and I hope they restore the videos they removed because it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I don't think I need to repeat yes, what we talked about for the past hour. <laughs> yes, thank you. I take, appreciate your, uh, your support and having me on. Take care. Alright, thanks. Alright, everybody. Here comes the Skype sound. Doot, doot. Love it. Uh, let's go to the second half of the show. Um, but first, actually, let me bring up the fabulous people who make this show possible on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. If you enjoy this show and what we do on this show, Patreon.com slash Matt Binder is where you should go and become a patron. I ask for $5 a month. You could give more. You could give a less. You could give a less. Will you hear me right now? You could give less. But please, only give what you can. Not more. Unless you really want to. But, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Abigail T., Adam Q., Alan B., Andrew H., Benji A., Bobby M., Brooke H., Champagne Kami, Chi, Christine H., Colin R., Dave K., David H. Z., Dragon Slayer, Dum Da Dum Dum, Floaties, Fraz K., Francis Z., FTW All Day, Greg D., Ian Curtis J., Jameson Test, Janelle A., Jasmine H., Jeff K., Jonathan B., Joseph R., Katie S., Kyle, Lisa D., Max W., User Me, Michael J., Michael M., Mr. Danks, Nicole A., Namde Net, Omid M, Romina O, Ryan left his best, 
Struggle Session, TM, Tamni G, Thaddeus A, Tina M, Tom G, Tom M, Trina E, Will P, and Zaron. Those are the folks who make this show possible by being patrons. You can also support the show by going to iTunes or Google Play or anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave a iTunes... Well, that doesn't make any sense. Leave a review for the podcast. If it's on iTunes, leave five stars if you think it's worth five stars. And leave a written review telling people why you love this show so much. If you uh, could also support this show, but what are the other ways to support this show? I can't even think. Subscribe on YouTube right here, right now. And if you only want to give a one-time off donation to this show, you can do it right now in the live stream super chat. You go onto YouTube, the live stream we're doing right now, if you're watching live, go to the chat and click that super chat button. Listen to me. I sound like I'm a monster jam commentary team or something like that. (sighs) You guys want to know something funny? I got a big, beautiful, professional light to use using your Patreon money to upgrade the show. And... It was working fine this week. I plug it in now and it's not working. That's the life I lead, folks. That's the life I lead. Gotta return it now, I guess. Unbelievable. Really. I honestly am really angry about it, actually. Um, all right. Let's go to the members half of the show. And to everyone else, see you all next time on Doomed. Oh!